beyond everything, beyond great produce, beyond um, you know leading a fantastic team and meeting people. I think the best thing I get to do every day is contribute to people having a good time and give people joy. Hopefully, this is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Sometimes we don't always get off on the right foot. The path to finding your place and your career path is full of stops, starts, hurdles, decisions, both good and bad. But if you keep your eyes open and are willing to soak it all up and keep moving forward, you can end up in the most amazing scenarios. Dom Abood is a head chef of the Union Bank in Orange, New South Wales. Dom, how are you? Good, mate. How you doing? Good. It's great to get you on the show. Orange is a wonderful regional town in New South Wales with an incredible food bowl. What's what's it like living there? Yeah, look, um, it's it's pretty fantastic. Uh, you know, the fact that everything seems to be two to five minutes away is is a massive kick in itself. But then, um, you know, the food scene and wine scene, um, the the relationships you build with producers, all these wonderful things that really lend themselves to working in a kitchen um, just make it such a massive draw card it's it's such a beautiful city particularly this time of year i've been to orange sort of in autumn and it's just quite stunning tell us a little bit about what it's like and what's what's going on in town yeah look it's something i'd never experienced fully you know i thought i'd I'd seen an an autumn having grown up um you know sort of in kellyville which was at the time when i was growing up not as suburban as it is now but um like the the colour change you get up here, a lot of a lot of people say it's you know one of those towns where you really get the four seasons and it's so spot on. You know, winter's dead cold, um, summer's gorgeous, dry and hot. But then yeah, autumn's probably become one of my favourite times. Like the the shades of red and yellow that I'm seeing through trees is something that's yeah completely non rivaled by anywhere else I've been. The Union Bank uh, has an incredible history in Mudgee. Tell us a little bit about the the building and and its history. Yeah, so um, look, it's a it's sort of a collective of buildings that's all become the one. Um, we have the original Union Bank, which was um, I'm pretty sure the first bank in Orange, um, and then sort of through connection to that, we have the the Schoolhouse Restaurant, which is in the Kinross, the original Kinross site. So the um, Kinross Wallaroy is a pretty big school up here, and it was their original schoolhouse. But then we also have the a building down the back that was originally the police stables and um, we have a building out in our courtyard that was, you know, Lolly Redini's was there. I'm, I'm pretty sure, don't quote me on that one, but, um, you know, <laughs> I've, I've heard whispers that they sort of started off there and, you know, seemingly set up a really great um, restaurant in Orange and have a great legacy here. So it's just, it's a place of such, um, yeah, history and, um, you know, value to the town that I think it's one of the big things that drew me to, the venue in the first place was sort of like, you know, if these walls could talk, what would they say? And, you know, how, how can we let people come and, um, you know, continue to experience this place? With with such um, incredible buildings with a strong history, does it, does it sort of create challenges for what you want to do as a sort of a restaurant and a bar? Yeah, look, that's, I think, been our biggest hurdle the whole entire time um, has been sort of doing what, we know we're capable of and what, what we want to do and what, what people want from us, which I think is our job at the end of the day is to, to meet, you know, that consumer standard and give them um, that great experience. But when you're doing it in a venue that's probably 70% outdoors, um, it does get very tricky. So, 
you know, the the venue layout that we had when we first started was sort of, you know, like a staff room up the front and one private dining room and, um, you know, there was a little section off to the side that we didn't really use. We really, especially with COVID, had to figure out how to capitalise on all these internal spaces, um, especially, you know, yeah, the, the weather dependency just was something that we didn't have the foresight to to see how much of an issue that could be. But, um, yeah, the, the building itself is is keeping us constantly moving and evolving and um, looking at things from different angles, which I think has been one of the the best parts of the challenge. You know, it's one thing to go, I'm, I'm going to do a menu, but it's like, how can I execute this menu for, you know, 300 to 350 people in a busy server sitting in eight different sections coming out of two passes? Um, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been insane. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to explore what you're doing there and how you pull that together and, and also a bit about the producers of the region because it's such an amazing food bowl. But take us back to when you were young. You mentioned sort of where you grow up. But what, what sort of role did food play for you growing up? Yeah, look, um, food food's always been a part of my life. Um, you know, even I think before I was born, my granddad had a fish and chip shop for the best part of 30 years in Parramatta. Um, my nan, mum and uncle on my mum's side all worked at Morrisette Hospital in the kitchen and then my uncle actually went on from that to do his apprenticeship and open a restaurant. Um, he was a he was a pretty, pretty handy cook. So I think, yeah, before I even got into it, both sides of the family were um, very food driven, not to mention, you know, dad's side is Lebanese heritage, so you can't escape food. Um, growing up around that but I don't think it was really until sort of I hit about eight nine years old which I think is when you start really noticing things and you know it's when you figure out which sport you like more out of all of them or you know I'm like I was I was dancing I was playing AFL I was doing all these things but the one thing that I really found that I connected with was um, in school holidays I'd go up to my uncle's restaurant and there was nowhere else I wanted to be. Like I loved me then, but I used to be at her door going like, right, can we go out to the restaurant? Can we go hang out with Mark? Like and um, that's sort of where it kicked off. You know, I was a really I was a really, really fussy eater. Um, but if he cooked it, I had this this sort of notion that it was just gonna be great and it was going to be perfect and I think the only thing I ever spat out was a panna cotta because I thought it was egg white and I, I just flipped out like I didn't want to eat eggs and um but yeah so it all kicked off around then and mum really encouraged it um you know I, I'm sure for her as well me saying I wanted to cook dinner at eight nine ten years old was like oh god yes here you go <laughs> take that so there was there was a few go-tos and I thought I was a whiz on the barbecue but um you know I think I just really valued food more then and dad's best mate being Italian would have us around for posada days and pizza days and I'd hang out with um you know his family and so I was always just up, like asking questions and um trying to get as involved as I could you know I didn't I didn't want to go play with the kids or kick the ball around I, I really wanted to be where the food was because I always saw that as like the social gathering point too like that's where everyone was talking that's where everyone was hanging out and I just sort of recognized really early on like that's that's where I wanted to be, around the food, around the people. Um, and, yeah, it just sort of spiralled on from there. You, you mentioned the amazing connection you had with your uncle's food of his restaurant. Is there a dish or two that you remember eating that you have fond memories of that you can share? Yeah. <laughs> oh, there was, there was plenty. I remember we actually did a, um, a Jewish Passover. And, my, like, we're, we're not Jewish, but he was doing um, matzo balls. And um, it was for a regular customer of his that just said, you know, can you, can you do – a Passover meal for us, and he was a pretty smart fellow. He goes, "Oh yeah, well, you know how hard can it be?" Sort of thing. But um, we did a, 
he did an awesome uh, matzo ball suit that I still remember just being so different and like nothing that I'd ever had before. Um, but then, you know, we were talking sort of late 90s, early 2000s. He did like a chicken breast in filo pastry. It was for a Mother's Day menu that I'll never forget because I hated prawns, but he had it filled with a little king prawn mousse. And I'm going like, oh, these aren't chewy like, you know. Yeah, and, um, you know, back then that for me was, yeah, was mind-blowing. <laughs> <laughs> But tell us about your first sort of foray into working in the industry. Where, where did you, where did you sort of start? Yeah, uh, so I started at a place called Red Oak Boutique Beer Cafe. Um, it was in Sydney. Um, it was fuck. I, you know, was pretty keen to jump into my apprenticeship from year ten. But um, mum and dad were pretty adamant that I should stay on just because I was I was a massive smartass. Um, and dad was you know straight up like you're going to get your head chopped if you going to a place acting like you do. And hindsight, it was probably the best thing because that couple of years where I had my license, I'd shoot up with my uncle and he'd be going, hey, like you shouldn't be acting like this if you're going to go get your apprenticeship. You know, keep your mouth shut, keep your head down. So, um, yeah, I, I had plenty to say and um, didn't mind saying it through through my later years in high school. But um, so I started at Red Oak and I still remember my trial shift being Melbourne Cup Day. And unbeknownst to me, that was there busiest lunch and I just sort of swaggered in like, oh yeah, cool, this will be fun. Um, and But mind you, I, I had a blast. Like everyone was stressed and everyone was, there was this high energy and the second I walked in the kitchen, I you know chucked my year 12 hospo jacket on because of one of the chefs now and I just in, like ducked to water, just sort of jumped in and I was on the chip section and doing a couple of little desserts um, and we got to the end of the trial and I was like, oh, you know, how, how'd it go? And the head chef, Chris, sort of just went, when can you start? And I was like, oh, I can start tomorrow, but I'm also going to the US for three weeks instead of schoolies. So, and he was like, oh, great. Over Christmas period, probably not what he wanted to hear, but, um, you know, he, he took me on and, um, yeah, we, we kicked off there and it was a really fun place. Um, all the beers were brewed by Dave, who was one of the owners. Um, the beers were fantastic. We cooked with beer. Um, we did these bigger stations that were, you know, five course digger stations with matching beer. And like to me, this was all, you know, heaven and above. I was like, oh, you know, this is really pushing the limit, not doing it with wine. And I, I bought into it so fast. And, um, you know, I just, I just immersed myself in it, you know, working all the time, loved it. And Janet and Dave, the owners, were great people. My head chef, Chris, was a fantastic bloke. Uh, and they really, really let me grow there, which I think, um, you know, in, in a lot of kitchens, you don't you don't get the chance. You, you know, this is how you think. This is what you do. You know, I'd come up with some dumb idea and Chris would be like, go do it. And I'd eat it. I'd be like, oh, it tastes like shit. And he'd be like, yeah, well, you know, now you know. So, um, you know, it, was, um, it wasn't the fanciest place, but I was really, really given some leeway to experiment um, and just sort of find my feet in a, professional kitchen which was really cool well red oak um there aren't many people in sydney that didn't experience red oak and it was really the beginnings of that sort of craft boutique beer offering that has blossomed what did you take from your time there yeah i think um i think even you know dave was one of the ones that was sort of lobbying for stricter rules around craft brewers and keeping keeping this industry niche and, and boutique um which was fantastic but i'll tell you what like, Working for Dave and Janet, like it was a small family-run business. I don't think I ever saw them just taking a day or chilling out or you know directing people. They really led from the front, and as did um 
Chris, who was the head chef the whole time I was there and, you know, number uh, two sous chefs I worked with, I ended up jumping into that position after my apprenticeship. But it really was a place where you just rolled your sleeves up and got it done. Um, you know, there was no no calling someone in to fix this. You know, Janet's dad had come in and do it or, you know, he'd come in and you'd be giving him a hand lifting these bloody fridges down the stairs, par magic. And, you know, he was, he was an older bloke. <laughs> he was doing most of the lifting, but... um that was all part of the job and I think that really, really said into me, you know, if, if you're going to be in kitchens, there's a work ethic, there's, you know, eventually getting into restaurant ownership itself, um, a lot more comes with that than just building a team and sending them on their way. As you started to build your career, who were the people that were really influential on sort of creating a path for you? <laughs> yep. Uh, look, Chris, Chris was a big one for me, um, just from getting me, you know, I went through all that young kid stuff. Um, he was very paternal in the way that he sort of helped me get to the point I needed to be where I qualified with him. Um, I then sort of stepped away from that. I, I had it in my head. I wanted to go do some cafe work, have a bit of a life. I missed my mates. Like I think, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of chefs that have just been slogging it for a long time have that moment. Um, and I actually ended up in a cafe in Castle Hill, the Baron, and this bloke, uh, Alex Major, was. I walked in and met him. Um, instantly, thought, "Holy shit, this dude's pretty cool." And we got chatting over our first beer, and you know, he'd done his apprenticeship at Yarms, and I was just going, like, "Holy crap! Like, how, what's this guy doing in the cafe?" And um, we got talking about food, and I think one thing I'd never done was really eat out. You know, I was always about working and working and working and working. I didn't realise how much you get from experiencing other restaurants and other chefs' creativity. So he sort of went, man, like, you got to, have you been to this place? Have you been to this place? Like, I'd never done Golden Century. And I'm going, nah, <laughs> what, what are these? And he's like, oh, man, like, you know, we're going here next week. We're going here next week. And, you know, living at home with mum and dad was pretty handy then because I just started dropping money on dinners. And um, I think I crammed years' worth of eating into, into the best part of three months while I was there. Yeah, but it was just like a, you know, we went to um, – my first trip to Esther, um, LPs, um, you know, uh, yeah, my first bowl of pippies at Golden Century. I was eating, you know, beef tendon and turnip hot pot and I'm just going like, what, like this is not satay chicken and I thought that was as good as it gets. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was that was a really, real turning point, I think, for my love of food and eating rather than just the working side. Um, and then, yeah, progressing on to work with um, – you know, Corey at Rockpool Bar and Grill and haven't met Neil and, um, you know, the, t- the team there, it was just then tenfold, you know, like you lived and breathed it and it wasn't just the restaurants, it was the produce you were using every day and it all sort of progressed really nicely. How did you get the gig at uh, Rockpool Bar and Grill? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> funny story. I like to say I've got a really funny story. Um I was still working at Red Oak at the time and I got this this message from a bloke named Glenn Dunn and it was like, I'm a casting agent for Channel 7, we've seen your Instagram, blah, 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 would you be interested in chatting about doing this show? And I went down to my head chef, Chris, and I'm like, hey, this, this is a scam, right? And he's like, oh, I don't know, mate, well, it seems seems pretty official, like, what do, you, what do you got to lose? And in my head, I was, you know, saying fame and glory a little bit and, you know, 
20, 21 years old at the time, I was also like, oh, you know, a bit of, bit of a body image worry. I was like, maybe this will get some girls to like me. <laughs> so, you know, what bugger it? What do I have to lose? And um, I threw my hat in the ring and it ended up they were looking for teams of people and me being the cocky young bugger I was, they go, have you got anyone to help? And I was like, I don't need anyone to help. I can do it. And it was for a show where you set up your own restaurant. So... <laughs> Yeah, and I, I just sort of ran with it. And I went, oh, like, worst case, they're going to tell me to bugger off. But um, lo and behold, I, I got selected to be the Sydney contestant for team, team Sydney competing against other states and teams of, you know, up two to four people. So I ended up on this show, Restaurant Revolution. Um, and Neil Perry was a judge. So I met Neil through that. Um, and he was, like, fantastic, you know. He was... He'd, He's just so passionate and, again, like that real sort of paternal instinct in the way that he encourages. He didn't sit there and go like, oh, mate, that's shit. It was like, oh, look, that's really good. But he had some really great feedback, um, you know, and John Leslie was a, a judge on there, Arez Gordon, Jess Ho. So it was all these people that I was like, oh, shit, like this, this better be good. And it really had um, had the chance to blow up in my face, I think, at, you know, 20, 22 years old, I think I was then. But um, I did I did struggle and um, – you know, I think the production crew were aware of how much I was doing. I was sort of sleeping, you know, one, two hours a night while we were filming, trying to get this restaurant up and running. And one day, you know, my, my food also wasn't wasn't great. It was really, really sim- simple cafe food at best, and I was trying to push it in a premium restaurant setting that they're then wowing people with on TV. So one of the producers goes to me, oh, I've got a mate, you know, look, this is really – not how we do things, but like I can see. And they, they were lovely. Like the guys on the production team, like I still speak to most of them now. Um, and they just really like, hey, mate, I can see you struggling. Look, I've got a friend. Don't say anything. He's just going to come have a look. And, you know, maybe you have a chat at the end of all this and in walks this bloke. And I remember looking at him going like, oh, yeah, he looks like a chef. And I don't like, you know, what does a chef look like? But I still remember thinking, they're going, oh, shit, okay. And they're going, he's got years of experience and, he goes, yeah, g'day, my name's Corey. I'm like, nice to meet you. I'm Dom. We get chatting away. <laughs> and it did, this conversation started. He's looking at the food going, you know, oh, that's really good, but, you know, why Why do you do that? He didn't come in and tell me what to do. He was just challenging everything I was doing. And it, it opened up a conversation that I wasn't having with the people I worked with who were friends of mine. And I went, oh, shit. Like, I realised a few things and I went and sat down by the bins, which was out of the way. <laughs> he goes, oh, you know, so like, you know, I'm here, I, I, I run Rockpool Bar and Grill for Neil. And I think at this point we'd both forgotten more mic'd up and the producers have kicked the door open like, Corey, you don't have to bloody go on about this. And he's like, oh, shit, I thought he knew. <laughs> so um, that's how I met Corey. And sort of at the end he goes, hey, mate, like whatever happens after this, uh, you know, if ever you're looking for something, if this doesn't go the way you want it to, give me a buzz. So um, so I did. I Once we wrapped up filming, I actually got in contact with him because I had two blokes working for me who were awesome chefs and they sort of, after three months of hard work, thought they were going back to where they were working in Castle Hill and I was like, man, we've got this opportunity to go work in restaurants that I think we're all we're all capable of but like I myself didn't didn't think I'd make it in the added restaurant scene just after years of not doing it. I thought I'd miss that boat. Um, I sort of had it in my head it was too late to start doing finer food um but i knew you know my mate sean and youngsy they were both really good blokes and both hard workers i was like fuck you guys like you know have helped me out so much here i've 
got your foot in the door of Rockpool and I said to Corey, you know, take them first and he said, I've only got a couple of spots. So I said, I'll, I'll hang out for a bit and I'll, I'll get in touch with you once I've had a bit of a break, um, which I did probably six to eight weeks later and he didn't have a job. And he told me I could go work at Rockpool 89, which, um, which terrified me, to be honest. I, I knew it was just that next step up, but um, it also, I was pretty aware it wasn't the sort of food I'd ever be super interested in. Like I, I knew what Rockpool was about. I knew how it could be, you know, that really refined setting or it could be just this awesome shared social dining setting as well. It's really, it's really got the, the potential to meet every occasion. So um, I just said to him, I'll, I'll wait. And <laughs> yeah, a couple of weeks later, I was like, hey, do you want to do a trial? Done. And then the rest sort of went from there. Do you have any stories of what it's like to work with Corey Costello and Neil Perry? <laughs> oh, <okay>. yeah. <laughs> Plenty of stories. Um, <laughs> nah, hey, look, I've, I've, I've said to anyone that's ever, ever, you know, listen to what the media say or anything like that, I would, I would drop everything tomorrow and go work for either of those blokes again. Um, you know, Corey really, 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 even though he did it in a way that I never really understood as a young bloke sometimes, he instilled a passion in everybody that was willing to sort of jump on the train with him in the best produce and the best service and just looking after the customer. And you know, I, was, I was a real boisterous, loud, sort of like being one of the, not the biggest fellas in the kitchen, but I'd, I'd throw my weight around because I think it all came back to, I didn't, I didn't feel confident in my cooking. And I knew all these guys and, you know, there were apprentices there that were starting out and I felt like, you know, I wasn't quite cooking to the standard everyone else was. So I used my my voice and my my presence to sort of assert my authority you know especially running a team of apprentices on the larder section um and i thought that was from what i'd seen before the way to go and Corey snapped me out of that not quickly he had to work on it for a long time but um you know i got a few bollockins about the way i was speaking to people and um you know that that whole gordon ramsay era not really lending itself to to actually leading people and it took a while but eventually it really really sunk in and it's something of I think it's probably the best lesson I've learned is you know that whole you catch more flies with honey than vinegar sort of thing um, and just you know if you if you want people to do well you know lift them up and and give them the platform to do it um, you know I, I'm still to this day so I'm regretful for the way I carried on sometimes there but I was on I was on my learning journey and um you know, it doesn't make it any better, but it's definitely not how I run my kitchen now. So, how did the opportunity come about in Orange? Yeah, it was, oh, it was another real funny one. I feel like everything happens really quick, and I make these decisions in two days, and all of a sudden I'm like, "Oh shit!" Did I think that through? But um, look, so working at Rockpool, I met uh, my partner Sarah, who's now our venue manager. But um, she came from Orange originally, so she was living in Sydney, working at Rockpool. Um, natural hospitality love story, you know, uh, bartender wants food, chef wants booze, exchanges start happening, bartender's pretty, chef's very interested, um, it all sort of goes, goes from there, I think it's a tale as old as time, but um, yeah, we, we started dating, uh, we started visiting Orange, mainly for, um, you know, Christmas, Easter, but there's an event up here, um, Food Week, Food of Orange District, Week and it's a celebration of produce um, and all the fantastic things that are orange 
there's some really great events and there's one called Forage where you walk through vineyards and sample food and wine at little tasting stations. So we started to come in, <clears throat> come in Orange religiously for that every year and each time I visited, I was like, oh, man, this place is cool. Like just offers so much and, you know, the wines, I was going like, oh, man, like, you know, I love, I'm loving Charlotte. I wasn't a big wine drinker before I met Sarah um, and – that sort of kicked off and I was like, fuck, this, this region's really producing everything and you know, everyone's talking about how much it's grown. I was like, oh, it's really, really, really cool. But um, I was still, I was very happy with my job at Rockpool. You know, I, I sort of saw myself being there forever. I, I didn't see anything better than that coming my way. And one day, um, not that we were allowed phones in the kitchen, but I got a text while I was doing a grill shift and Sarah was in Orange doing a photo shoot for her jewellery business that she just started. <laughs> I knew she was up here with a couple of friends speaking to people and I just get this random message saying, hey, Dom, you know, my name's Nikki. I'm starting – we're uh, reigniting the Union Bank. Um, I've heard you might be interested in talking about a head chef position and I think I read it like five times and like looked at my mate next to me and I was like, is that like – is that is that a job offer? And I was like, oh, man, just like hit him back. And the first thing I did was text her. I was like, who the bloody hell are you talking to up there? Like, I'm, you know, I'm working at one of the best bloody restaurants. I, I love, 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 love the team that I'm working with. It was always, you know, fantastic people. I'm like, why would I, why would I move? Like, yes, I love Orange, but I didn't, um, I didn't see that happening for another few years. I always sort of thought it would be where we come to have a family and that, um, you know, I was only 20, probably 26 or 20. 26 at the time so um but she she said you know this sort of just came to a conversation you know what have you got to lose why don't why don't you just see what they want and I'm like, okay and then me like my, my first reaction a lot of the time is no no no, no, no crazy but um i sort of thought about it I had a beer after work and messaging back i said yeah i'd love to have a chat thinking you know a few weeks time we might get up to orange <laughs> um she went cool my, my I was like, oh, we're down tomorrow. Do you want to meet at the White Rabbit? And I was like, just down from Rockpool. I was like, oh. I was like, man, these people don't muck around, okay. So um, didn't have didn't have too long to get it all under wraps. But I um, sat down with them and had a chat, and I knew the building. Um, I knew the history it had. I knew the special place that it sort of held within the town as well. So it was, it was a real moment where I sort of reflected because I can honestly admit I, I didn't feel ready to go and start a venue or that that size and with that um that history not just the physical history but the history with the town and you know people going that's a place that had anniversaries or weddings or birthdays um I, I instantly felt it was a sort of place that needed someone to do it justice and I, I was absolutely terrified to be quite frank um but I went up to speak to Corey straight away because you know any anything I ever sort of pondered over or deliberated i knew in some way he'd get he'd either have an answer or he'd help me get my head in the place where where I'd figure it out myself um and I just said to him hey mate look um before before I even went for the interview I told him I was going because I just I didn't want that to be something where I was running around behind him um came in and he's like how'd it go I was like yeah shit like I think I think I want to take it but it's pretty scary just sort of laughed. He's like, man, like, everything's scary. He's like, you've got a good grounding, you know, you've you've got family, you've got land, just go. He's like, what, what have you got to lose? And um, I even remember Neil making a remark one day saying, don't worry, mate, Rockpool's not going anywhere. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll be here if it, if it all goes to shit. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, cool, all right, well, you, you know what, that actually 
gave me comfort because I was like, I can run off and have a stab at this and really make something of it. Or, you know, worst case scenario, I'm working at a place I love and I come back going, oh, well, that didn't work. And I'd sort of strive to figure out how to get to that next level. But, um, you know, four years later, it didn't happen. Um, and, yeah, here we are. Tell us a little bit about some of the producers that you have connections with of the region. It's such a, an amazing food bowl. Is there one or two you can tell us about that you sort of feature on the menu? Yeah, look, we, um, I've always had a really fun thing at UB where it's, um, you know, I'll take whatever you got. And at the start, I was telling a lot of producers that and they sort of didn't. I don't know if they didn't believe me, but I was like, you know, bring it in and I'll, I'll buy it off you and I'll feature it on the menu and we'll get through it and I'll... I'll do my best to work the menu that way. Um, but it did, there was a lot of dialogue at the start. But, um, you know, Greg from Block 11, who's an absolute champ, came in with these coconut pumpkins one day. And he's like, oh, i got like 80 kilo out there. <laughs> he's like, how many do you want? And I was like, yeah, I'll take them. Like, just give me all 80. They're not, they're not going to die out there. But, um, you know, I've, I've really got a great relationship with him now um, where I think he knows I'll, I'm not scared to take on a product that I haven't worked with or – you know, we will always find a nice little spot for it on our menu and highlight it. Um, John Reynolds from out at Nashdale Fruit Co. is another bloke that just, you know, it's small scale, but everything is just so bloody nice. Like, you know, you've, you've had some good tomatoes, but he's got these wicked little sort of yellowy black ones, lucid jam tomatoes, and he dropped them in over Easter. And they were like jammy, sweet, fr- friggin' incredible. Um, and he just <laughs> runs in with his, you know, he's got his farmer's hat on and his gumboots and his flannel and there's people sitting all around. He, he doesn't care. He's coming in with the produce, drops it off and, you know, people love it. But that's that's what it is and it, there's no no fresher sauce than the bloke himself that's just been out picking this as a one-man team, rolling it on in and having a bit of a yarn with us too. And then um, I think my the best one that we've struck up a really good relationship with is um, Farmer Doug Dag, who's a potato farmer out of Browns Creek, which is about 10 minutes out of town, and they are the best spuds. Um, I met him through a mate of mine up here who's a chef, and, you know, instantly I was like, oh, I love a potato scallop. Let's let's chuck some on. And that was about two and a half, three years ago, and we just have not been able to take them off since um, because, you know, Doug's spuds are just fantastic, and he's he's an older bloke. He's probably, I've never asked Doug how old he is, but I think he'd be pushing 90. <laughs> And he still, he still wheels in the spuds himself. And I'm like, Doug, come get me when you get here. I'll come pick it. And he's like, no, no, you know, I, I provide the service. And he's, um, he's an absolute legend. And he's always got a story. He's always up for a yarn, but he's always about the best product too. And, you know, oh, this may not be as good as this one for what you're doing. I was like, Doug, just, just give me what you think's best and we'll work with it. But that's, that's not his way. It's not the Farmer Doug way. <laughs> he's a champion. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your food. You've got such a huge offering and all the different sort of um, rooms and buildings, but do you have a dish or two or a couple that sort of exemplifies what you're doing there? Um, yeah, look, we've, I've, <laughs> I've always tried, so many people go, what's your style or what's your, you know, what's your influence? But um, I was speaking about it with a mate of mine the other week and he goes, you know, what's wrong with just cooking yummy stuff? And <laughs> I sort of laugh because that's, that's what we do. Like I'll, I'll go through these, really flirty moments with different cuisines. You know, there was one stage where I was really on the Cantonese train and I was looking into that and um, I'm not I'm not a great researcher. I really struggle to read. I'll, I'll read a book, but um, it just doesn't sink in and I'll, I'll have to read it 20 times to sort of figure out the recipe, whereas 
I'll see a video in passing on something. I'll go, oh, that looks really cool. And then I end up in this deep hole of watching videos. And then I look at my menu three weeks later and it's all got these Chinese influences to it. I'm like, oh, when did that happen? <laughs> and then next week we're going to Italy. Like um, it's, it's really fun, but I find it's always indicative of season and produce. So um, it's, it's, it's always changing. Um, and that's, I think, the most fun thing, you know, the, when tomatoes are on, we go with some of the old classics, like, you know, the last tomato dish was with stracciatella. Um, but we got some wicked broccoli at one stage and we're doing that with a smoked macadamia tarotor. Um, and then the other day we are doing rice hash browns to go with a miso eggplant and beef tartare thing. Like it just, it does jump around a lot, but somehow it always seems to, to work. Uh, <laughs> but it's just, I think that's my, my brain and my personality as well. It's a little bit unsettled and always looking for the next the next good thing or the next best thing. And um, I'm really lucky I've got a team that keep up in that sense and don't just go, this is too much, you're, you're, <laughs> you know, you're unsettled. <laughs> has this moved to Orange and, and this role that you have, has it, has it changed you? Oh, massively, massively. Um, I think my, my confidence for starters when I took this job on wasn't, uh, wasn't the strongest. I was really lucky I bought, um, actually bought a mate of mine up as – my sous chef to kick off and we'd worked at Rockpool together. Um, he was living with me at the time. And when I told him the, the lease was up and that we will going to Orange, he went, cool, I'll come. <laughs> you want to sue? And he was, um, you know, he's a wicked chef. Um, so having him at the start was just really good because I could sort of, I knew I had someone of the same, um, you know, thought process and background. And if anything, like, he was my senior at Rockpool. So um, it, it was even good there to know that I just had someone of, a really great quality. Um, but I, I really then didn't have the confidence and I sort of lent on him a lot and didn't trust my instincts and my gut. Um, you know, after a couple of lockdowns, Maddie moved on and there was just this period after the second lockdown where I had to get things up and running um, and I really had to to sort of show that, I, th- I think more to myself that I was capable of, you know, looking after the menu, looking after this, looking after that. And I think it's when... Uh, UB sort of came into its own because I started doing my thing instead of taking everyone's counsel. And um, I think, you know, some some of it was stupid because it was so much prep or, you know, staying back prepping this and it wasn't practical in the setting we were doing it. But it was the start of me really taking control and writing my menu instead of I always used to refer to it as our menu. Um, and that was when I just went, you know, you, you, you're the leader, you're the one with the vision here, you know, these guys have come to work for you because they want to be a part of that, not because they want my job, which is evident a lot of them don't. Um, but, yeah, it was it was the start of, like, you know, a bit of confidence in my cooking and exploring, um, but also just, just, you know, listening to um, Front of House, which that, that, um, that constant battle that used to exist between Front and Back House is something I'd really like to eradicate because I listen to, you know, our Bev manager, Sarah, our venue manager, our restaurant manager, even, you know, some of our waitresses, when they're giving me feedback from customers, I used to ah, yeah, whatever, grizzle at them, but it's really helped to find our menu to something that people want to eat. So um, I think now, yeah, I'm a lot lot more conscious of, you know, we're, we're here for the people. We're not here for egos. We're not here to, I'm not here to get awards. I'm not here to create this thing that everyone speaks about. I just, I just want to cook really bloody good food and and be a part of everyone's special occasion or quiet moment to themselves whatever that be i just want them to have a place to come which 
it's sort of full circle from where I was when I started this whole thing. You've um, had an amazing change in yourself and creating such a, an amazing impact in Orange. What, what do you love about what you do? Um, I think the biggest thing I've sort of come to appreciate, especially like you know about my job and um, about food in general, is it's it's such. And I think I touched on it at the start. You know, it's always been a social gathering point. It's always the highlight of a special occasion or. You know, the family occasion, sometimes it's it's comfort when you're having that bowl of charcoal towel on your break on Hunter Street, you know, but it's, it's food is there constantly and it's something we always appreciate and always sort of involve in big personal moments. Um, I think just that, that involvement in people's lives and the ability to just give people joy is something that I really realise. We, we have a tool at our hands and if we use it correctly, you know, we're not, they're not going to go, oh, Dom did this, but um, they're always going to go, oh, remember that time we went to Union Bank and it was our anniversary and, oh, man, that was so good. And, you know, but it, it, even if it's not the food, it was just so nice to have that night with you, with your partner for their anniversary or, oh, and you remember dad got up and sang this song because he was too pissed because they just kept filling up our wine. Um, you know, all those things that we can play a part in making memorable for people and, and joyous occasions, I think that's – beyond everything, beyond great produce, beyond, um, you know, leading a fantastic team and meeting people. I think the best thing I get to do every day is contribute to people having a good time and give people joy, hopefully. Well, Dom, it's a, it's amazing what you're doing out there and an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Uh, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. 100%, mate. Thanks for having me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>